please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We're looking together today at verses 14 16. The beautiful nation of France in the late 17th century, it was as many of you know, illegal to be a Protestant Christian. The Protestant faith was made illegal in 1685 by the, the absolute monarch, Louis XIV. And Protestant Christians suffered greatly at this time, so they were living in jobs, and they were living in the Struggle. And now the prospect of uh, our, our parliament legislating even more le evil legislation and the provision of abortion in our state hospitals. And this is coming in the next two weeks. 
And for some of you, your relationships, they're, they're, they're straining and breaking even. And all of you feel this daily temptation and trial. The temptation to live lives of godless autonomy, to live life without God. The temptation to test God, to live badly, to live foolishly, and yet to, 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 to try to maintain his favour at the same time. You're tempted to idolatry, to devote yourselves, your life, your time, your thoughts, your energy to other things than the true and living God. You're tempted to give up your God-given responsibilities for your wife, your marriage, your family, your city. You have come here this morning in need, in great need. And you look up and you see God and you see him seated on his throne, the sovereign of the universe, and you are certain that he has the power to help you You know he has the power to help you, but you're not sure if he wants to help you. You're not sure if he's interested. You feel perhaps he's disconnected in heaven, disconnected from from you and your life, and, and you wonder if he actually cares. You're not certain of God's posture towards you, his attitude towards you. And not only do you think that maybe he doesn't care, but maybe he is hostile towards me. He's against me. He's angry with me. He wants to ruin me. Because after all, didn't he destroy a sinful world by a flood? And after all, didn't he destroy the sinful nation of Egypt with ten plagues? And after all, didn't he destroy his own city of Jerusalem? when his people kept turning against him. And so here you are, you've come here with your needs and you look up to God, you know he can help you, but you wonder whether he cares and you wonder even whether he's angry with you. And not only will he not help you, but perhaps he wants to destroy you. Well... Let us read these magnificent words in Hebrews chapter 4. You who are here this morning who need God's help and are uncertain of his posture towards you, listen to these words. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our Father, we pray now for your help. We pray now, send your Holy Spirit to this place and open our eyes to see you as you truly are. Open our ears to hear your voice. Soften our hearts that we might receive what you're saying to us today. For Jesus' sake, amen. You who need help, 
and you are afraid to approach God, you don't know of his, his attitude towards you, you're not sure of his posture towards you, you're not sure if he's interested in you, you're not sure if he's even hostile towards you, listen to what the word of God is saying to you. If you're a Christian this morning, come to God with confidence, his word says. Come to him with confidence because you have a high priest in heaven. Come to him with confidence because you have a sympathetic high priest. Come to him with confidence for God's throne is a throne of grace. Let's look at these three points together. Come with confidence, you who need God's help. Because you have a high priest, a great high priest in heaven. Look there at verse 14. It's not me saying it. It's the word of God. Therefore, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. And in the Old Testament, the Old Testament of Israel was commanded by God to set aside Aaron, Moses' brother, to be a high priest. And he was dressed in magnificent clothes to set him apart not only from every other person in the nation, but from all the other priests as well. He was the the great priest, the high priest. And on his chest, there was a gold plate, and on that gold plate were 12 jewels in four rows. And engraved on each of those jewels was the name of each of the tribes of Israel. And on his shoulders, he had stones, and on one side engraved six of the names of the nations of Israel, of the tribes of Israel, and on the other shoulder, the other six names of the other six tribes. And the high priest, the high priest, not only did he have right to access the tabernacle, the grounds of the tabernacle, which was God's tent amongst his people, but he also had the right to access the holy place within the tabernacle, But above all, he and he alone had right to access the holy of holies, the most holy place, the the inner sanctum, the place where was the, the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, God's throne room. And once a year, the high priest, Aaron, would go in to the tabernacle, into the holy place, and then into the holy of holies, And he would bring the blood of a sacrifice that had been made for the people. And he would present the blood before the presence of God, saying, the sins of your people have been atoned for. The sins of your people have been atoned for. And then he would come out of the the most holy place, out of the holy place, out of the tabernacle. He would come back to the people of God with a message of forgiveness. Your sins have been forgiven because a sacrifice has been made. And so the high priest represented the people. He carried the people on his heart. He carried the people on his shoulders into the very presence of God to show to God that the sins of the people had been atoned for and to bring back from God his absolution, his mercy, his forgiveness, his blessing. That was the high priest, one person who could access the presence of God to represent God's people. And Hebrews says that if you're a Christian, 
you don't just have a high priest. You have a great high priest, Hebrews says. And his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he is a great high priest because he's not going into the the tabernacle, into an earthly picture and symbol of God, God's heaven and God's heavenly throne room. But he goes into the actual presence of God, the true and heavenly throne room of God. And he goes there on your behalf. And he goes there bearing you on his heart and he carries you, as it were, on his shoulders. And he goes into the heavenly throne room and he pleads for you. And he shows that a sacrifice for your sins has been made. And he comes back to us with all of God's blessing, God's forgiveness, his grace, his adoption, his sanctification, his justification, every spiritual blessing, he brings it from God and carries it back to us. Jesus Christ is your great high priest, the book of Hebrews says. And look, at, look again at verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, not just the tabernacle, but into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Because as we know, the Hebrew Christians were sorely tempted to give up their Christian faith. And there was a strong pull back to Judaism. And there was a strong pushback from the world. From a world that that despised Christians. And so they were sorely tempted to give up their faith. And and, and the book of Hebrews is saying, hold fast, hold fast to your faith in Jesus Christ because he is a great high priest and he's standing in God's presence for you. He carries you on his heart. He carries you on his shoulders. And he's pleading for you. And he's asking the Father's help for you. He's acting for you to help you. And so those of you who have needs and you look up to heaven and you wonder, what is God's posture? What's his attitude towards me? Well, first of all, you can know that that Jesus Christ is there now pleading on your behalf. He carries you on his heart and he's pleading with you that the Father will help you and will sustain you and give you what you need. So, come with confidence, because not only do you have a a high priest in heaven, a great high priest, but you have, the book of Hebrews says, a sympathetic high priest. Look again at verse 14. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. How did Jesus' adult ministry begin? What's the first thing that happened after Jesus had been baptised by John in the Jordan? What's the very first thing that happened? The Spirit led him into the desert, into the wilderness, 
for 40 days of temptation. 40 days he fasted, no food, no water. And he was tempted by the devil. He was tempted. He was tempted to turn stones into bread. If you're the son of God, come on. You don't need to be hungry. Just turn these stones into bread. In other words, he was tempted to, he was tempted to autonomy. He was tempted to independence from God. Provide for yourself, Jesus. Do things your way. And he was tempted to test God. Leap off the high point of the temple. God will look after you. He was tempted to to act recklessly, to act foolishly, to act wrongly, and and, and to to tempt God, to test God. Well, God God will sustain me anyway. God will hold me up anyway, even if I act with, act recklessly and foolishly. And he was tempted, of course, to idolatry. Come on, Jesus. All you have to do is bow before me. And all the kingdoms of heaven and earth will be given to you. And so there was this temptation to to worship something other than the true and living God. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sorely tempted to give up his responsibility. His responsibility to care for God's people to do what he and the Father had planned for him to do from the, before the beginning of, beginning of time, to carry his people's sin and to suffer the consequences of their sin upon the cross. Now Jesus was tempted. He was sorely tempted. Now there is a difference. When the devil tempts us, he applies heat and pressure to our sinful nature. That's how the devil tempts us. And our temptation is caused by sin, it's mixed up with sin, it it too often results in sin. Jesus had no sinful nature. The devil was not bringing pressure to bear or heat to bear on his sinful nature because he didn't have a sinful nature. Nevertheless, the temptation that Jesus felt was very real. Very severe. Just picture a blowtorch. You apply it to a lump of coal. It it disintegrates the coal. You apply the blowtorch to a diamond. The diamond remains intact. Yet, does the diamond feel any less heat than the coal? Does it it suffer any less than the coal? Is is the, the intensity of the flame any less On the diamond, not at all. And so, although Jesus didn't have a sinful nature, yet he was tempted in every way, just as you are tempted, just as I am tempted, yet without sin. Just think about that for a moment. You are being tested, he was tested more severely, more fiercely. You are being tempted at every moment. He was tempted just as ferociously as you, if not more, and yet was without sin. But what this means, the book of Hebrews says, is that our great high priest, 
The Son of God who stands in the presence of God pleading for us, who carries us on his heart and shoulders. He sympathizes with you. That's what Hebrews is saying. Uh, I think the latest translation of the NIV says empathizes. That's, that's okay. The Greek word is literally sympathize. And it means to suffer with. Because you and I both know, don't we, that when we are in trouble, when something terrible has happened, we don't need someone coming along and giving us a lecture. We don't need someone coming along and giving us their advice. Well, we do need advice, but what do we need? First, we need someone who will just suffer with us, right? Isn't that what you need? You need someone who will sit with you and who will cry with you and feel what you're feeling and they know what you're going through and hurt the way you're hurt. That's what you need when you're hurting. You need someone to sympathise with you. And the word of God says, he knows. Your high priest knows everything that you are going through. He felt the same. He suffered the same. He knows exactly what you need. By the way, what did God give Jesus in his time of temptation? When Jesus was being tempted and tested, what did God give him? Did God lift the pain? He didn't. Did God immediately take him out of the desert and put him in a paradise? He didn't. He was there for 40 days. And the suffering, the temptation did not end by any means at those 40 days. His whole life and ministry was one of trial and temptation, right up until the cross. So when Jesus was in in need and he prayed, did God put him in paradise? Did he lift the pain? Did he lift the suffering? What did he do? He gave him endurance. He gave him patience. He needed help and God gave him the strength to endure the flame. He didn't take him out of the flame. He gave him the strength to endure it. Just keep that in mind. And the third and final point we hear from Hebrews chapter 4 is that we can come to God with confidence in our time of need because his throne is a throne of grace. Verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. That could also be translated with freedom. Come freely into the presence of God. It could also be translated, and this is probably my favourite translation, boldly. Come boldly into God's presence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The book of Hebrews says, look up to heaven, see God seated on his throne from where he rules the entire universe. God on his throne. And his throne is firstly and primarily a throne of grace. 
Do you see the way the throne of God is defined as a throne of grace? What does that mean? It means that his basic inclination is to give us what we don't deserve. His basic inclination is to forgive us. His basic disposition towards us is a merciful one. He is a God who loves to show mercy, to forgive, to lavish gifts upon the undeserving. That is the basic disposition of God. Look up, Hebrews says, and see God on his throne. It is a throne of grace. Not a throne of frowns, a throne of anger, a throne of destruction. It's a throne of grace. And I reckon when the the prodigal son who said, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance, you know the story. And the father unbelievably agrees, unbelievably, and gives him his third, his inheritance. Goodness knows how much money would have taken a lifetime to accumulate. And he takes the money, and as we know from the parable in Luke 15, he blows it all quickly in alcohol, parties, prostitutes. He blows it all until there's nothing left. Wasted. His entire inheritance wasted. His father's toil wasted. Nothing left until he's looking after pigs and wishing he could eat half as well as the pigs could eat. And then he, 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 he decides, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to beg for forgiveness and I'm going to beg that he, he lets me be a servant in his household. And the, what, what, in other words, is the son expecting? He's expecting what expression on his father's face? A frown? Anger, hostility, that's what he's expecting. He's coming back to the father, he's approaching the father, and he is expecting a frown. And he is expecting anger for what he's done. And instead, he doesn't even get to the doorway of the house because his father is running towards him. running towards him with delight and happiness. My son is back. And there's not a frown. There's a a great smile in his face and there are hugs and tears. Slaughter the fattened calf. We're having a party. Put the best cloak on him. Put my ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. We're having a party. Because my son who was lost is now found. You see, that's God. <laughs> that's God for you. Jesus says that, that's, that's God. It's a throne of mercy. And, and look up in your time of need and you will not see a God who is disinterested in you or a God who is angry with you, a God who is frowning at you, but a God of grace and mercy who is smiling, who loves you, who wants to help you, who delights to forgive who loves to give a fresh start, 
who loves to give to the undeserving. Lavish gifts. And so here you are. You who struggle to put food on the table. You whose heart breaks for the the city. You whose relationships are straining, breaking. You, this morning, who are tempted, as Christ was tempted, to autonomy, to reckless testing of God, to idolatry, to irresponsibility, in your time of need, know that God is nothing like Louis XIV. Could not be further distant from that. He is a God who is interested, who knows you, He knows your every need. He knows exactly what you're going through. And far from being a God who is intent on destroying you, he is a God of mercy and grace. You have a great high priest pleading for you. Jesus Christ bears you on his heart in the very presence of God. It's a throne of mercy. And your high priest sympathises with you. He knows exactly what you're going through. In other words, look up to heaven and the doors are flung wide open. And the lights are on. Come in. You're welcome. You're welcome. And all the power and riches of heaven are yours. And you will receive mercy and grace in your time of need. Hebrews does not promise you, does not promise you that your pressures will lift. It's not saying that. It's not saying that your pain will be lifted. It's not promising you an easy life. It is promising the best that God can give you. And his best is endurance, because endurance produces character, and character produces hope, says Romans chapter 5. And his best is that you be conformed to the likeness of his son, and he will give you that. And above all, he will give you his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit himself dwelling within you, strengthening you, helping you, growing you into Christ-likeness, the fruit of the Spirit being born in your life, in your time of need, look up and there is a generous God, a God who loves you and he will give you every good gift. He will not, please please know this, please don't think that God has good things and that he's holding them back. I think some of you think that, I really do. I think think some of you think that God is is mean. You're in need, you're, you're, you're you're crying out to God, and he could, he's got these good things, and he's just not given them to you. It is false. That is a lie. The word of God says, here's a God of grace. Here's a God of love. Every spiritual blessing is yours, and he will give you the best. And the best is Christ-likeness, and the best is his Holy Spirit, who will help us to endure will grow character and hope. That's his best. So, 
Let us approach God's throne of grace. How? How? With boldness. Approach God's throne of grace with boldness so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. I'll ask our musicians to come up. We'll sing together and then we'll come to the Lord's table together.